you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts. No, and it's not just because it's following John that I'm going in Acts. But what I want us to look at over the next several weeks, both in the morning service and in our PM service, is uh, the idea of life together. And what does it mean as a Christian? How do we live life as a as a Christian today? Where does the, the church fit in? How much of the, of the Christian life? One of the things I hear often as a pastor is, and it, it's just, you know, we, we've all said it in a variety of ways, that, you know, it, it's, it's my relationship with the Lord and nobody else's business. I've, I've heard that over the, you know, have you ever been witnessing to somebody and you start talking about the Lord in church and uh, someone that is unchurched and they say, well, it, it, it's a personal between me and the Lord. And, and it is. There is a personal relationship between us and the Lord. But if we look at Scripture, there is no such thing as a relationship with the Lord and not a relationship with other people. Amen? Now, wait a minute. I know for a fact our folks can say amen because they said it this week. All right, so we're going to work on that, all right? Amen? Hey, now see, that's so much better. I looked up one time and Johnny Hunt said something and everybody started hooping and hollering. And I said, well, why don't y'all hooping and holler when I preach? I said, you preach like Johnny Hunt? We will. <laughs> that hurt my feelings a little bit. But there's no, there's no place in Scripture that says that as I become a believer, that it is just me and Christ and no one else. The Bible talks about the church as a building, the church as a body. I mean, so when you think about just body parts, they're attached to something. We, we look at the differences that we have and just how unique we are. And that is, that is a struggle within and of itself is trying just to, to do ministry together because we're so different. We think differently. We respond differently. We have different passions. One of the things I struggle with is I don't understand why no one sees things like I see it. And you struggle because you don't understand why I don't see things the way you see them. But that's the uniqueness of the church and the body of Christ. Nowhere do we do life alone. It is always life together. So even if you're here this morning and Sunday night is not a, a good time for you, I want to ask you to, to consider coming back on Sunday nights over the next several weeks as we learn to do life together. And the benefit it is to have one another beyond just our immediate little circle of comfortable people but as we come together and do life together. you notice in the right-hand side of our order of service, I call it our bulletin, there's this word koinonia, and koinonia is a word that we're going to be looking at some this week, next week. It's the idea of, of Christian biblical fellowship and what koinonia, when we see that word in the New Testament, what does it mean when the church was, was coming together? And we see this idea that koinonia and biblical fellowship carries this idea of common coming together for the sake of the Lord. It's like Christian communion that we do together. And we socialize. You'll hear me been saying that. Here, here's a good way that we socialize. I am so glad that Florida State and Florida won, aren't y'all? Now we can move on. The end of the world is it's going to be okay. We, we see some light at the end of the tunnel. There's nothing wrong with that. I could show you a video of, of George Ann. She's trying to talk, and I think she almost said Papa the other day. There's nothing wrong with that. But what Scripture talks about is when believers come together, we need to be talking about the things of the Lord. 
we had a situation this uh, this week in uh, in the Cracker Barrel of all places. Imagine that we're in Cracker Barrel, and it was obvious the, the waitress was having a tough day, and you could just tell she would bring the food out and just very very direct and very this and very that. It was just obvious. And maybe some of our women picked up on it because it was a woman and maybe they could understand what that looks like. And I, I was too oblivious to that. I was thinking biscuits and cornbread. But afterwards, a couple of our ladies went up to her and says, we've noticed that you look like you're not really having a good day. Is there any way we can pray for you? What do you think she said? You sure can. I'm trying to raise three boys, and they're not, you know, right there, no fellowship, corn and knee in the cracker barrel. There's a difference between socializing and having corn and knee. And so I pray that over the next several weeks, we realize we need to do a better job cultivating corn and knee that we need to be willing to get outside of our comfort zones and meet one another and ask spiritual questions, investigate someone's life. How can we do life together? How can we do the, the Christian life together? I was sharing with someone the other week that was a, a, I would consider a senior adult, and I think about our senior adults. Senior adults, do you know how much you have to give to other people? I know as a senior adult, I can imagine it. I'm seeing a foretaste of it. It's all that you can do just to get here, right? But then when you get here, can you imagine what you have to offer the younger crowd? Life experiences, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. If we would just take the time of not wanting to just cultivate loneliness and, to, and, and oneness, but we're looking to cultivate this biblical koinonia, what do I have to give to other people? Because we're in a day and age that we, life is not about us and what we want and what we desire. It's what do I have for someone else? Young people, do you know what you have to offer our senior adults? The excitement and the anticipation of living life and, and looking at our, our senior adults as those that we can draw from and those that have lived out the life of faith before us. Could you imagine as a young person what you have to offer other people? I'm afraid we live in a culture, I hadn't gotten to the sermon yet, I'm afraid we live in a culture that church is about us. I was listening to another pastor this week. I like listening to other pastors, and he was talking about, and we've heard this before since the 80s, when we make the, the church look like the world, and we're trying to, to, to ask the world, what will it take for you to come to church? And it was just a day later that I saw a, a friend of mine in their church on Twitter, and they, were, they had a, a big get-together and fireworks and buzzes and lights and fog and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's exactly it. I'm not shooting off fireworks to get somebody to come to church. That would have been a good spot for an amen, a little affirmation. To... I'm not going to model the, the, the sanctuary into the way that the latest bar is, is, a, is designing their, their interior to draw people in. I don't care about the shading of the lights and the, the nuances. And I'm not going to stand up here with skinny jeans sitting on a stool, okay? <laughs> Amen. That'd be a good spot for that. Amen. Now that, yeah, it did take a while. Y'all slow. 
that does not mean that we don't want people to want to be part of our church. We know what the world needs. It's not ambiance and feeling. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be stuffy and traditional to do that. I tell people all the time, I love a piano and an organ. There's not a piano and an organ in the New Testament. Amen? Choir's not in the New Testament. Fuse is not in the New Testament. A lot of stuff that's not in the New Testament. So we can do things according to the way we think they need to be done as we proclaim the gospel and live out biblical koinonia. That's the issue. The things that get us all riled up have nothing to do with biblical koinonia and the gospel. They have to do with what we want. It's even people that come to church and don't come to church. Very rarely do I hear, I have never been told this before. I'm not coming to your church anymore because it's too gospel-centered. But I've had a lot of people say, I'm not coming to your church anymore because you don't do the things the way I want them done. And so I'm excited over tomorrow, and well, I guess tomorrow too, if you show up tomorrow, I'll preach tomorrow too, today, tonight, and next several weeks. I'm excited because we have a wonderful picture how to do life together. How do we do life together that we love one another and we do church together with the end goal being people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Turn on the news. My little bulletin back here. 90% of South Florida does not go to an evangelical biblical church. How do we reach them? With the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. We've tried fancy lights and contemporary settings. We've tried traditional churches. We've tried all of these things. What we need to get back to is, is living out a biblical example of the church doing life together as we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So take your Bible, Acts chapter 2. This week we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, probably next week Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. I'm going to read here, then I'm going to back up. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every one of them. Every, every soul, this, this holy fear and reverence of the Lord. They, God was so much in their midst that they were at all of his holiness and his wonder and his majesty. Let me ask you this. When is the last time we have felt that in this building? When's the last time uh, uh, churches in America have felt that? Just the awe and the presence of God. When's the last time you felt that in your life? Just a holy awe and reverence and fear of God manifesting himself in your life. And it came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and all who believed were what? Together. 
And they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day attending the temple together and they were breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, and they were praising God. They were having favor with all people and notice what happened. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's not about numbers. It's not about filling the pews. It's not about meeting a quota as a church. But I'll tell you what it is about. Seeing people come face to face with God because their sins have been forgiven, because they have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we can open it up and not only listen to it, but that we truly believe it. And we know that the word is for us individually as we sit as part of the body this morning. Let us be a people that understand life together and this koinonia. Let us be a people that understand as we commune with you, Lord, we commune with one another. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me back up a little bit before we dive into this first part here at Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42. I guess you could call this, if, if you have access to a, a smartphone, I don't encourage you to be wandering on the internet, but if you have a smartphone, you can go to Pastor John Beck, no H in John, pastorjohnbeck.com every week, and you have a sermon outline. You've got all this on, on, a, on a document. I, I provide my sermon notes. They are exactly what I'm putting on a piece of paper and I've been praying through the last couple of days. And so it might be helpful if you have access to that that you can follow along as we go uh, this morning. But first things first. In Acts chapter two, you remember John, let's back up to John, the, the gospels. The, Jesus Christ told the disciples, you go to Jerusalem. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he said, you go to Jerusalem, you wait on the Holy Spirit. In the upper room in John's gospel, he breathed the Holy Spirit on them and gave them a little taste of what was about to come. And he breathed on them and they recognized Christ and, and the Spirit of God touched them. And I think it was a little foretaste of saying, hey, I'm gonna breathe the Spirit on you. It didn't stay permanently, but I want you to go to Jerusalem and you wait and so the end of the gospels and the ascension of the right hand of the father the after Matthew 28 when Jesus went up the disciples went to Jerusalem and they waited and they were celebrating the feast of Pentecost and during and beginning in Acts chapter 2 I'm not going to go there but you can look there later in Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit comes upon the church comes upon believers and they are filled with the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit fills them and they begin to speak in tongues and they were speaking in, in the common languages of all the people that had gathered for uh, the feast and that's what we need to understand. People from every tongue and tribe had come to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to praise the Lord in known tongues. And then Peter, remember Peter, the one that denied Christ? And in the end of John's gospel, he told Peter, I want you to go feed my sheep. Peter is full of the Holy Ghost, and he begins to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. So Peter preaches this message. 
And then here in Acts 37, they heard this and they asked Peter, brothers, what shall we do? And then Peter proclaims in verse 38, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a message that's still in place today. Repent of your sins, place your faith in Christ and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Who is this for? Everyone. Everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this perverse, this crooked generation. And that's some preaching. And he's preaching to a crowd that has just crucified Jesus Christ. So what we get in the tendency to do is, oh, it's just so much harder now. It's not, it's so much easier to preach Jesus Christ now than it was then. And Peter stood up and he said, you need to turn from this crooked generation and turn to Christ. And with many other words, he born to save himself, verse 41. So those who received the word, I love the way that word is there. Those who received it, Peter didn't force it. Those who received it. For as many as receive him, God allows them to become children of God. John 1, 12. As many as received them. So those who received his word, they were baptized and they were added to the Lord about 3,000 souls. Then, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Then we go into verse 42. So let's consider these things before we dive back into verse 42. You could call it first things first. One, you see the anointed presentation and the reception of the gospel. And I say anointed because the spirit have come upon the church now. Now we can say, and it depends on where you want to take your theological stance of where the, you know, there's always been the people of God, even in the Old Testament. A lot of theologians would say that the true New Testament church started in Acts 2, and I would say that too. The the church that we see of today, it started in Acts chapter 2. So if you want a role model of how to be a Christian, if we need a role model for how to be the church, just go to Acts chapter 2. Because the same spirit that filled them, you could say this about me, the same spirit that anointed Peter should be the same spirit that anoints my preaching. The same spirit that came upon Peter in the New Testament church is the same spirit that ought to anoint all the preachers. But it's obvious that hasn't happened. We can look into our churches today, any church, and say, well, it's obvious. You know, that's why there's such confusion about the anointing of the Spirit and when the Spirit comes and when the Spirit doesn't come. Can you lose your salvation? Can you never lose your salvation? You know why we debate about these things? It's because we don't have an answer for so many people that say they love Christ but don't have the anointing of the Spirit upon them. We don't know if they're not born again or they've never been discipled. We don't know what's going on. So it creates so much confusion. There should be no confusion whether or not you've repented of your sin, placed your faith in Christ, and you have been filled with the Holy Ghost. There should be no confusion if that has taken place because if that has taken place, your life is radically changed for good and forever. There was an anointing of the Spirit upon their life. And the gospel was proclaimed. 
I just wrote this. The spirit came, the proclamation came. The spirit is there to point us to the things of the Lord and the truth of God and his word and Jesus Christ. When the, when the spirit comes, the proclamation comes. So we had the anointed presentation and reception of the gospel. Another thing to consider, it was boldly shared. It was gladly received. You don't convince someone to be saved. They realize they're lost and they gladly respond to the gospel. That's why we don't need to spend time with smoke and fireworks. Spend time on the gospel. Notice Peter, I, I say boldly proclaimed. That's boldly proclaiming right there. He cowered to a servant girl that even knew Jesus just days earlier. And now he's standing in a public arena declaring the crookedness of just generation and proclaiming that people must repent of their sin. So notice the message. It was boldly shared. It was gladly received. Repentance. We turn from our sin. That's what repentance is. We turn from something. There's confession. They received it and then they followed through with baptism. They, they identified with Christ. There's a confession of faith. I am making a, you know, uh, you could say it this way. We, as Baptist churches, a lot of times, you know, we, we, we walk an aisle and we make a decision. We tell the pastor or something and we present people on the, on the floor of the church. I think the best place to present someone is the baptistry waters. If you're receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that ought to be our testimony of what has taken place. Not that it can't stand down front like we do, but that to me, that's what the early church did. They were baptized. There was a, there was a confession. I am born again, dead, buried, raised again in newness of life. That we are confessing to our friends and family in the world that we live in, hey, I'm not dead anymore, I'm alive. My sins have been washed away. I'm a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were baptized, identifying with Christ. Third, they were empowered. The Holy Spirit came upon them and their life naturally changed. Uh, D.G. Morris was an old pastor friend of mine that's now with the glory. He would always say, their wants to changed. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, your want-tos change. You don't want to do what you used to do because the Spirit of God abides within you. So we see repentance, confession, empowerment. And then I, I, I used this word a while ago, but the last word, we do see the identified. They joined one another. The Lord added to the Lord brought into the fellowship, into the, in the family where we see if I have a relationship with God, I realize I have a relationship with others. The, the, the surrounding area, the Jews had come to celebrate Pentecost and the Greeks and everybody was in the city and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and there's thousands of souls that get saved. They don't want to go home. They don't want to be by themselves. They don't want to do life by themselves. Immediately realize we are part of something different, part of something special. We now belong to Jesus we're now the church we see this identification now I don't know I'm pretty sure they didn't have an active and inactive role can you imagine that can you, I cannot wait to go to heaven there's a lot of things I can't wait to go to heaven experience 
I'm not going to be the Southern Baptist preacher that talks to Jesus about an inactive church role. I just let that on you. I don't know who's going to have to explain how we justified inactive church role. I'm not going to be the one to explain that one. Could you imagine telling the Apostle Paul that? Now, see, Paul, now we're Southern Baptists, so we do things a little differently. We have a group of people that we call active church members of the body. But then there's also this other group we just call inactive members of the body. Paul's going to say, well, what do they do? Nothing. Well, why are they part of the church? There's a, there's a big book about this big in our office and their name's written in there. And as long as, is that the land's book of life? I'm going to say, no, Paul, you're not following me here. These are Southern Baptist things. Can you imagine that? It's nowhere in Scripture where you see someone that has given their life to Christ that doesn't want to be around other people that have given their life to Christ. It's an unheard phenomenon. Now, whoever came up with that idea, we got resident, non-resident membership, active and inactive membership. Lord, you missed two rotary meetings. They throw you out of the rotary. You don't come to church for 50 years. We're proud of you. Amen? Y'all not as feisty on that one. How to fix it, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I've got a family full of them. Anybody else got family that say they're Christian? Or they think if they died today, they'd go to heaven. They ain't been walked into church, haven't been opened a Bible, prayed, gone to church. Listen, if you're not going to church, you're not having a quiet time. Let me just say that. You know, somebody says they're not going to church. They're not having a Bible study. They're not praying. They're not doing anything Scripture says we ought to be doing to express our gratitude and worship of the Lord. To me, the easiest place to start is, do you go to church somewhere? But they identified. They wanted to be part of one another. They were willing to give everything to belong to something. I think churches, we're missing that. We're creating, a, 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 I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's like we're creating a show, an activity that you come and you sit up under and you, you feel and it's a performance and it's like, uh, you know, I was looking at the picture of this church that they did this relaunch. I'm not going to go into it. Y'all be Googling it, figuring out where it is. It's in Georgia. They did this like relaunch. And they had fireworks and they waited tonight because you can't throw fireworks. You got to wait tonight time to do the fireworks. They redid their sanctuary. It was an older traditional church. And I promise you, I'm not making this up. That same day, I, I do Twitter to keep up with the news. That same day, someone had a picture of a concert they went to. And I'm not saying you can't go to concert, but somebody had taken a picture of a gospel, uh, a country co uh, concert somewhere. One of my friends. I promise you, you could take those two pictures and you could not determine which one was a sanctuary and which one is a concert. Now, why do I go to a concert? I do want, a, I do want an emotional connection and, you know, we, we, we hear music, we want that connection and yes, yes, yes. But I don't need to go to church to get that. 
I don't want to sit in a church where it's, I don't even know who anybody is and it's just about that personality in the pulpit and that praise team and the orchestra and the band or whatever we call it. It's all about the performance. I want to come to church where the lights are on and I can see Sabrina and Sharla. That I can look into your eyes and your heart and know that you're part of the family. And that we're in this together. That's what the early church, they realized, hey, we're in this together. So that kind of sets the tone of what had taken place. The Spirit had come upon the people of God and, the, and God showed up and Peter proclaimed. And next thing you know, what happened? 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people came to know Christ. Remember what Jesus told the apostles? Greater things you'll do than me. And you know, well, he's Jesus. He had, a, he had a little band following him, right? But he did his thing by dying on a cross, raising himself from the dead. He raised from the dead. The Spirit comes down and empowered us to do what God made way that we could do. 3,000 people came to know Christ and they didn't want to leave. Now we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it will take a couple of weeks to walk through it. the faithful fellowship of the church. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves. Pros carterio. That's the Greek word. Pros carterio. Something like that. Why do we have Greek words? Well, because words mean different things and you can take the Greek word and you can find that Greek word and track that Greek word and see where it's used. And so we begin to see a picture of the faithfulness of this church and we begin to see things a little different. What does this life together look like? Well, it was rooted, number one, in faithfulness. So all of this before was kind of a, a long introduction. How do we do this life together? It is rooted in faithfulness. Notice what it says. They devoted themselves. That word there literally means in the Greek, just one short definition. I'm going to come back to that. It means to be earnest towards something. They were earnest towards something. And so the early church, now this is, this is what I want you to consider, they were earnestly working towards something. It was something that, that drove their life. It was the most important thing to them. And we follow that word in just a couple of places and it was really very encouraging to me. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, we see that word again. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Do you remember that in Acts chapter 6? It became a, a little division within the church because everybody was there together and they, they had some widows that needed to be taken care of. And so it's where we get, the, what I believe, the first instance of, of deacons, servants. The apostles were doing the ministry of the word and the prayer and there was a lot of needs that arose and the, and the apostles realized, man, I need some help here. I can't, Peter, I can't do this by myself. There's 3,000 people here. 
can't be done by itself. So you see within the church, positions and offices and ministry of people that come alongside the work of the Lord and do ministry. And so it's where I believe we see the birth of, a, of what we would call in our church as deacons, servants. They, they come alongside uh, the, 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 the elders and they, they minister within the body. And the idea was, notice that word, so that we could be devoted to what God is calling us to do. And so the word means that we are devoted to what God is calling us to do. Listen to Romans 12, verses 9 and 13. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in, in tribulation. Be devoted. Be constant in prayer. Tribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So out the New Testament we see, and don't miss this, the word associates very closely to the word prayer. What is the most intimate thing that we do individually? I think it's prayer. We have the word and worship and prayer. I think it's prayer. We can pray anywhere, at any time, in any setting. And it's that, it's that earnestly desiring to seek the face of God. And so where we see this word the most in the New Testament is at the, at the fundamental point of our relationship with God, being devoted to seeking the face of God through prayer. And so just as an individual, don't miss this, just as an individual, I need to be that committed to my life with Christ, my life to the Lord through prayer is the same way that we need to be committed together to do life together. The same word that says this is my relationship with the Lord is the same word that says we do this together. This is not about being alone. This is not about just me being devoted to the Lord in prayer and study. I'm all, no, the same word is used that we are devoted as the body of Christ together. I made some, some notes here. The word means to continue, to remain, to persevere, to endure. So, I, I, well, let me read on. It means completing a task with the end in mind. I'm striking out to do something and there's a goal. Let me think college football. What is the goal of college football? Is Florida's goal to finish 500? No. Is Georgia's goal? Well, we just want to have a 500 year and just have fun. No, we want that hardware. We want the rings. We want Alabama. I'm thinking it's going through Alabama again this year. What do you think? And so the, the all-off season, that's the goal. All-off season, that's good. You, you think they're coming there? Hey, guys, let's work hard. Let's just go for 500 this year. No. I think what we miss and what our churches miss because individually we miss, and by the way, our church is only what people are. When we say that the church needs to be about something, it's we're about something. We can change South Florida if we get Miami, right? We can change the church if we get us. The church is a building, but the church is also a people. And so they individually 
were devoted. They were completing a task, the goal in mind. And I tell you this, the goal in mind is just loving and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's it. Last Sunday, remember I talked about that? If you just love the Lord, the doodads take care of itself. When I saw that bear, I didn't even consider what that death would look like. I figured it would be better for someone to explain to Sharon what happened to John than me explain what happened to 12 people on that van because I guarantee you I can outrun everyone on that van. (laughs) And I said, I am not letting this bear devour this sweet fellowship. So I got out in harm's way I didn't worry about the doodads because I love the church. I did get about halfway through that going, okay, I've got to find me a car I can get up on when this thing turns on me. But it's kind of silly. If we get the love of Christ right, everything else works out. But if everything else isn't working out, it's because the love of Christ isn't right. If we're having issues out here, it's because we're having issues here. That's the issue. They were just devoted to loving the Lord, following after him. What are the two greatest commandments? To do what? Love love what? What's the second one? Love others. Love God, love others. If I love God, I'm going to love others. If I love God, I'm going to be the greatest pastor in the world, the greatest husband in the world, the greatest father in the world, the greatest grandparent in the world. If I love God, everything else takes place. It will work itself out. They were devoted. They were steadfast. They were faithful. They were a faithful church because they were a faithful people. Remaining faithful was the key to the early church, both corporately and individually. They remained faithful. They were faithful people. I'll finish with this. One point, a sermon with one point, a very long introduction and one point. They were faithful. Number one, they were faithful to the things of God. What a great way to start. I, I worked on this throughout the night in the morning, praying through this in my own heart. What is this text saying? I've preached this text 20 times. They don't tell how many church girls have been and heard Acts 2, 42 and 47 preached before. The early church, first and foremost, they were faithful to the things of the Lord. What were they faithful to? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, that's not the preacher. They were, they were, you'll be devoted to me. You'll be devoted to preach. They were devoted to the things of God. God spoke creation into being. He spoke the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. The prophets then began to be the mouthpiece of God. And they would go to the kings and they'd say, thus saith the Lord. That's a good, you want to know what the Lord says, right? And the apostles were the, was the authoritative voice of God. Thus saith the Lord. And then Jesus came and he says, in the beginning was the word, the was the word of God, I was with God. Thus saith the Lord. I am the God in the flesh. Jesus became the voice of God. 
And when Jesus ascended and sent the Spirit, then the apostles began to be that authoritative voice. But guess what the apostles then did through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? They wrote the Scripture. Just as authoritative and true and relevant is God speaking the world in the creation is our Bible today. I wonder how many people really understand that. Just as authoritative as Jesus standing in the temple preaching as an adult is the Bible for us today. Just as authoritative of Peter and Paul and the apostles proclaiming the good news is the Bible for us here today. The early church was devoted to the things of God. God, I want to hear from you is what they were devoted to. Why do we come to church? To hear from God. We don't come to church for the lights and the smoke and the go-go girls. We don't come for the pastor and the personalities. We don't come for the programs and the coffee and the latte. We, we can appreciate some of those things mixed in, but we come to church to hear from God. And this is what the early church was doing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, it's, it, when you preach, I do appreciate every now and then somebody will come to me and say, Pastor, I, I just need to apologize. You know, I, I took that medicine this morning. I'm a little sleepy. I can see when you're sleeping. I can see when you're on your phone. But I can also see when you're really listening. Can I let you in on a little pastoral secret? If somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I'd really like to share something with you I think would be beneficial to you and the kingdom, I always say, do they listen to the preaching? Yes. I want to hear from them. Sometimes people come up to me and say, I got something to say. I want to say, you don't matter. Why don't you matter? You had not heard a thing God said since I've been a pastor. How do you know? Because I can see your face. Isn't that sad? I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> that bear wrestling's given me some courage up here, hadn't it? This is what I think the early church was doing. God, what do you want me to do in my life? God, what next? God, what do we do from here? Because I left everything. I'm just, I just came for Pentecost and got filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter probably said, well, it's getting close to lunch. Keep on preaching, Peter. Because we're hearing from God. They were concerned about what God had said, would say to them because they had yielded their life to God. That's good. Write that down. They weren't in control of their own destiny. They had yielded their life to God, and so they were devoted to hearing what God had in store for them next because they knew that that man standing up there named Peter was a mouthpiece of God. If you're part of a church where the word of God is proclaimed, it is a mouthpiece of God, this, this scripture here. And they were devoted to that, to the apostles' teaching. Listen to 1 Peter 2.2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. 
Now, Sharon is a typical grandmother. I don't have time to do this. Somebody told me they were surprised I don't show more videos and pictures of George Ann. I'm tempted, but it isn't about her. But Sharon is notorious to this. We got, a, we got a little video where she was supposed to be taking a nap and she's oohing and on and won't take a nap. And so Katie kind of comes up with the phone and videos it. And the first thing Sharon said, look at those fat legs. <laughs> we love fat babies. Because she had a little, she's, at first she was a little tall and skinny. Sharon's like, oh, she's not feeding her. She said, look at those fat, we love fat babies. Can I say this? I love fat church members. I mean on a spiritual way. Peter was addressing the church and this is what he said. Some of y'all are on the milk and not the meat. We've got the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God. There's no reason why. I'm going to start going up to people and say, well, you look a little skinny there. Well, thank you. Thank you, Pastor. That wasn't a compliment. Where do we grow? I mean, it would be like me as a pastor. You know one of the dangers of a pastor is? I've got a sermon when computers came around. I didn't store everything on my computer. I have probably got 10 years of sermons that are the finished product. Well, that'd be easy. I'm 52 now, and y'all don't remember well. I just, I'll just go back. I'll start back in John next week. <laughs> and there I'll be, just plateaued. Some of us in Baptist church life, we still, and I love open windows and upper room and all those things. We're still reading the upper room. We're still reading the prayer. We're not doing anything any different. We're not feasting on the word of God. We don't love the word. We don't, even when I have theological discussions with people lost and saved, a lot of times we're talking about things and I just want to say, have you not read your Bible? It's in the Bible. It's always been in the Bible. I mean, some of us have been, I've been a Christian now since for 40, 40 years. It's in the Bible. They were devoted to the meat of the word. Not John, not the outline. I mean, I've got favorite preachers. I've got men that I like to listen to that I just enjoy their personality and the way they teach and the way they do. I'll admit that. But it's not them, it's the Word. We would, they're devoted to the Word. 2 Timothy 2.2 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul, in the latter part of his life, 2 Timothy was the last thing that he wrote and he's telling Timothy, Timothy, whatever you do, keep teaching what God has said. Keep filling the people with God's will. Somebody says, I just wish I knew God's will. God's will is doing what God wants you to do, when he wants you to do it, how he wants you to do it. Just follow scripture. That's God's will. Paul's telling Timothy, just keep sharing the word and trust this to faithful men. Pass the baton. The word is where the meat is. And very quickly, 
They were also devoted to the breaking of bread. Go back to Acts chapter 2. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. They were faithful to the things of God, the apostles' teaching. We'll get back to fellowship next week. To the breaking of bread. I believe in my heart, I think that it's referring to, and I always use I believe and I think, because we don't know. I believe and I think that's the Lord's Supper. Can you imagine what the Lord's Supper would have meant to them? The, 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 the Passover lamb. And Jesus had reminded them and the Spirit revealed it to him and the Spirit manifested the truth that Jesus taught in the upper room. Do this in remembrance of me. They did that in remembrance of him. And so we see they were devoted to the preaching of the word of God, but they were devoted for coming together and experiencing and sharing what Christ had done for them. Next week we have communion, the Lord's Supper. What an awesome opportunity to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what that means to us. They were devoted to that. Some of my church friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ that may have a different church background, they do communion every week. Some of our Southern Baptist churches have started that. And they want to they go back to encourage people to what Christ did. Curtis and I were in a church in Wisconsin several years ago. And every week they did communion. And you went down front and you took a piece of the bread and you dipped it in the juice every week just to remind ourselves what Christ did for me. What does the gospel mean? When you're reminded about the gospel like that, that's how you can live your Christian life. And so when you think about that, what is it, what is it allowing us to do? Coming together, coming together. The teaching of the word, communion as the body of Christ. And then last, prayer. Remember those verses that I read about being devoted to prayer? They were devoted to prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is listening to God. Prayer is just having a, an intimate conversation with the Lord. Get rid of all the deacon, preacher, Baptist words and just get right with God. I, I say that as a joke. We pray often, dear Lord, guard, God direct us. We beseech thee in the name. You know, get rid of all that and just get real. Lord, here I am. There you are. I jokingly say things like this all the time, you know. Pray about doing this. I know what God's going to tell you. I mean, it'd be like asking somebody, well, pray about coming to church. Okay, you're not, okay. Well, God didn't tell me that. Okay, you didn't pray. Because praying is getting right with the Lord. Prayer is getting on a one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. and God's always going to put you where he wants you. And where he wants you is where he's already said you need to be. They were devoted. Could you imagine the dependency they had on prayer and the word and communion? They had to have each other because they had nothing else. Our problem is we've got everything else and we, we lean to the Lord when we run out of us. When we have a day available, when it fits our agenda, they had nothing else. They were completely devoted to the things of the Lord. I close with this scripture and then I'm going to pray. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11. They were devoted to the things of God. They're the word of God. The coming together is the body of Christ in communion. They were devoted to prayer. 
Again, Paul to Timothy, he says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you. This is 1 Timothy 4.11. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the example of believers in speech, in conduct, in faith, in love, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Listen to verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Think about that for just one second. How many of us have a loved one or a friend or a family member or neighbor that we do not think knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? I do. What if every one of us here this morning made this decision? I am going to be faithful and devoted to the things of God. Individually, I'm going to be faithful to the things of God and this church the apostles, the preaching and teaching of the word of God, anytime we can come together and discuss the things of God. I hear people say all the time, well, I don't don't get into preaching. What do you get into then, your opinion? If you want opinions, go watch CNN and Fox News. I don't want opinion. I want to hear what God has to say about everything. So we're a people that are devoted to what God has given us to see and hear and believe in. We're devoted to what Christ has done on that cross and we're devoted to to coming together as a body. We're devoted to prayer. So here we are, we're all devoted to these things. Not only does it benefit us, it benefits those that hear us. What an opportunity to invite that lost person in here where a group of people are devoted to the things of God and they're crying out to God to manifest himself in a special way and they're all all in tune with the promises of God and as the word of God is proclaimed it benefits the hearers and God begins to change hearts we don't see this taking place in churches today because we hadn't got to church yet I read that this week over it will be a benefit to you and to your hearers immerse yourself in these things Why did the early church have such an impact? Because they were devoted to the things of God. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the early church. What a picture of faithfulness. What a picture of love for each other. Lord, I was reminded this week with those one another passages, what a a great picture of true biblical life together. That as we love you, we love one another, as we devote ourselves to the things of God, and next week we'll see we devote ourselves to the people of God. Lord, I beg you this morning, let us see life is not about us. It's about you and those that don't know you. 
Lord, do a work in our life. As we have said under the word today, I pray that your word has done that work. And as we close in song and prayer, let us not leave here the way that we came. Let us be different. Let us dare to be different. In Jesus' name we pray.